Hello, and welcome back to the Previously On podcast. We hope that with the short break we took for the holidays, you were able to celebrate safely and in a way that allowed you to rest and relax. We're certainly excited to be back with you, continuing our conversation about the first season of Avatar, The Last Airbender, and more specifically, the first book of that series, Water. My name's Brandon Berger. I'm Evan Muse. And I'm Maxwell Anderson. And together, we're our own sort of Team Avatar. We're very excited to keep our conversation going as we navigate our way through the first book of this series. For our eighth episode of the podcast, we'll be taking a look at chapters 15 and 16 of book one. Previously on Avatar. Here's some more information about chapter 15, Bato of the Water Tribe. It's the 15th episode of the first season and is the 15th official episode of the show. This episode was written by a new writer to the show, Ian Wilcox, and sees the return of Giancarlo Volpe in the director's chair. Bato of the Water Tribe originally aired on October 7th, 2005. Here's a quick synopsis of Chapter 15. Sokka, Aang, and Katara find a seemingly abandoned water tribe ship that belongs to their father's fleet. Camping out by the boat, Sokka and Katara are overjoyed when they are soon joined by Bato, an old friend of Katara and Sokka's father, Hakoda, and a fellow member of the Southern Water Tribe. Bato had been injured in battle and temporarily left behind by the rest of the Water Tribe soldiers while he heals. While they reminisce about the old days, Aang feels left out. A messenger arrives with a letter from Hakoda, intended for Bato. The letter contains instructions to find him and the other Water Tribe members. Aang intercepts it and keeps it to himself, fearing Katara and Sokka will abandon him. Later, he comes clean about the message, but Sokka, furious at Aang for keeping it from them, is insistent on leaving to find his father and convinces Katara to join him. Meanwhile, Zuko finds a bounty hunter named June, who helps him track down the Avatar, utilizing a large mammalian mount with a powerful sense of smell called a Shirshu. Using Katara's necklace as the scent, Zuko and company are able to trace the gang to the monastery they had been staying at, ultimately finding Sokka and Katara split from Aang. This leads to a skirmish, with our crew ultimately escaping to resume their collective journey to the North Pole. Aang returns Katara's necklace to her after he recovered it from Zuko during the fight. Here's some more information about Chapter 16, The Deserter. It's the 16th episode of the first season and is the 16th official episode of the show. Chapter 16 was written by yet another new writer, Tim Hedrick, and sees the return of Lauren McMullen as the director. The Deserter originally aired on October 21st, 2005. Here's a quick synopsis of The Deserter. Team Avatar goes to a Fire Nation festival to see if they can find a firebending master for Aang. Katara is chosen out of the crowd to participate in a firebending demonstration, and when it looks like the demonstration might harm Katara, Aang intervenes, exposing himself as the Avatar. They are able to escape the town with the help of a deserter who brings them to his camp. There they meet a firebending master named Zhang Zhang. Zhang Zhang initially refuses to teach Aang because he does not think Aang is ready. Then Roku appears before Zhang Zhang and convinces him otherwise. They begin training but Aang grows impatient with the slow pace. He tries a more advanced move but inadvertently burns Katara in the process. Katara runs away and discovers that she has healing powers. Meanwhile, the deserter's camp is attacked by Admiral Zhao. Using what he learned from Zhang Zhang, Aang goads Zhao into using his reckless destructive bending style against his own ships and subsequently beats him without having to land a single blow. Team Avatar escapes while Zhang Zhang and the other deserters disappear into the forest. So, what were your thoughts on these two episodes? 
Do you guys like Bato of the Water Tribe? Do you like this episode? Absolutely not. I don't either. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't hate this episode. It's not like a great divide type yeah. of an episode that is just horrendous from head to toe. But it's one of those episodes where you think about all of the elements of the episode and it easily could have been expanded and then split into two episodes, right? Where they focus maybe a little bit more on Bato, the history of the water tribe, Sokka and Katara as little kids. You could do a little bit of flashback sequence there. And then the second part of it could have been the whole Zuko pursuit with the sheer shoe and that whole like secondary interaction. But yeah, to me, it felt like a little bit rushed. And because it was so rushed, nothing was able to, to feel good in a narrative form. Yeah, I feel like if Aang had been able to hold on to that secret longer, that would make it like hurt more, I think. Like he's had that map for half a day. I don't know. Like, yeah, it's not very nice, but it it's not like he held on to it for like days and their father like could be completely somewhere else by now. And I think like you said, Evan, the fact that Aang only has that map or that message from Hakoda for like half of a day, if it's even that long then Sokka's reaction just kind of seems outlandish and it seems out of place. It's like, are you are you really that frustrated? Like, he just got this. And even if you would have gotten it the same time that Aang got the message, it wouldn't really have changed anything. Like, it's not like they would have then left right that moment because Bato would still be needing that time to heal or whatever. They would need to still rest. And the message came at night. So they're not just going to up and leave in the middle of the night. I, I sort of disagree with that a little bit i i don't know i think for me this was a tough episode because the characters were written kind of out of character if that makes sense like like i get the motivation for ang not wanting to be abandoned but it seems like even still he wouldn't keep them from seeing his father that seemed like super super out of character and then also I have kind of a gripe with this one for Uncle Iroh. Like the way he's written in this one seems super out of character as well. He's just awful. Such a predator. Like, ugh. <laughs> it's gross. This episode makes me feel gross. It it doesn't even, you know, it doesn't even attempt to hide it. Like he's not even kind of creepy old man. He's just creepy in general, you know. Especially at the end where uh when they're kind of fleeing the monastery and the sheer shoe hits June. And he goes and catches her, and he's just laying there. And then Zuko, Zuko says something like, Uncle, I didn't see you get hit with the tongue. It's so, so creepy. Horrible. Oh, my God. Ugh. Yeah, so I think that's kind of why yeah. I have a gripe with this episode. It just takes me out of the character growth a little bit. I guess Uncle Iroh didn't have character growth, but this is the opposite of <laughs> opposite of growth. Yeah, and a character that's up to this point just been so like steady and so consistent. This is so out of character that yeah, it is it does give it does give you pause. Yeah, and thank God he's never really like that again. Like hundred percent. Hundred percent. Do we wanna just rag on the writer? Who was the writer for this one? <laughs> Well, hey, you know what? He, it was a new writer, so maybe that's why yeah. they didn't ask him back. They you know haven't what seen I'm the saying? show before. <laughs> no. no. Yeah. Watch, we'll find out. He also wrote, like, The Library and The Headband. Yeah, our, did, like, favorite all of our favorite episodes. <laughs> all of our favorites, yeah. Not today. Actually, I did look up his IMDb page, and this was his sole credit, was writer of, oh. of Bottle of the Water Tribe. So so maybe it was, it was really that bad, for, and nobody... 
And he got blacklisted because he turned a lovable old man character into a creepy old man character in 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, think think he deserves that one. Yeah, I think we had the same exact comments on our Google Doc, Evan. Like, <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> Not great for Iroh. Yeah, I wrote, why is Iroh a pervert in this one? <laughs> oh, man. Well, and he, he also straight up steals the perfume. There's like the part of this uh, scene when they are oh in the gosh, monastery yeah. or the the wherever, and he like grabs it, tests it out, likes the smell, and then just puts it up his sleeve and then just you know hangs out there. Like there are lots of things about the decisions with his character that they made that are just questionable. I think. Yeah, it seems like maybe he didn't really get to look at the other scripts for season one before he sat down to write this. Sure, and that also makes you wonder too, you know, because. It's Giancarlo Volpe is the director, not his first episode. So you wonder, you know, was there no intervention at all to say, mm, maybe this isn't the direction we want to be taking these characters? Because there are parts of this episode that feel like it's a little bit of a retread or it's an episode that they kind of needed as filler, but it's not a conventional filler episode. You know, they don't necessarily go back and, and hash out everything that the gang has been up to up to this point in the show but they do kind of throw in um when zuko and and iroh and june on the sheer shoe are tracking the avatar like it takes you through the the more recent places that they've been so it kind of retreads it in that way where they're reusing the material but it, it doesn't feel like a straight up filler episode where they're just using the clips i don't know yeah i think it it could have been fun if this episode was later on and we got to really go back and see some deep cuts of places that they'd been and sort of have fun with that. But at this point, it was like, yeah, I know that was two episodes ago. I remember. Thank you. Right. Did you guys notice that June is arm wrestling with a street fighter in that tavern? What? It I did not. He looks like one of the street fighter characters. He's in like a gi and a red headband and he's got like spiky brown hair. Which is it like Ryu or something? Who's the guy who does the Hadouken? Yep. 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 That would be Ryu. Yep. He's literally, yeah. Oh, I see it. I have it pulled up right <laughs> here. Yeah. That is, I did not notice that. That's definitely a call it's out. It's gotta be. That's very cool. Good catch. <laughs> Thank you. I do think, and you know, this goes back to what we talked about earlier about it feeling like just a kind of a rushed episode, like too many new concepts or too many things are being touched on at once. I think they could have, if they would have split this into two episodes. You know, they could have done that whole first episode, again, exploring more of the Water Tribe customs, making us understand why they do the ice dodging thing to begin with, because that's a mm -hmm. pretty cool scene and the whole concept behind it. But they get rushed into even doing it and considering it right away. You know, it's just something that Bato uh, mentions as. Is this the boat he took you ice dodging in? Yeah, it's got the scar to prove it. <laughs> How about you, Saka? You must have some good stories from your first time ice dodging. He never got to go. Dad left before he was old enough. Stuff that they could have then flashback scened to all of that. Like going doing a flashback scene where Bato and Hakoda are doing their ice dodging. How cool would that have been? You know, things like that that are just missed, I think, when they try to put too much into one episode. Yeah, it's a lot of tell instead of show. And in a show that's so powerful when it uses its visuals, like there's some really cool visual moments in here too, in the, even in these in this episode, but they relied too too heavily on like an exposition dump rather than, yeah, just using some of that visual storytelling that has been fairly successful, I would say, in, in past episodes. I agree. The, the, the rushed 
essence of the like the, the boat scene where it's like this is kind of Sokka's manhood journey right that's a pretty big deal yep. but instead it's sort of the right passage it's a vehicle for ang's guilt which is it just makes it feel like a kind of throwaway right you're focused on ang's guilt instead of this really cool Sokka as a leader and a warrior um i don't know it kind of undermines it well and, and a critical thinker what a showcase of his ingenuity there because as they're coming on this wall of rocks because Rock dodging is probably quite different than ice dodging. Just ask the Titanic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, and they come across this big wall of rocks and Sokka, quick thinking, yeah, we can make it through this. We've got a waterbender and an airbender. We can kind of make this ship fly a little bit. You know, I think just such a cool, kind of a cool concept, kind of a cool moment that, yeah, Max, like you said, using that, using this kind of rite of passage for Sokka as a vehicle for Aang's guilt just feels off it feels weird when they're flying over the rocks in the boat it reminds me a lot of that adventure time episode the the gender swap one where they're like flying through the clouds on cake and lord monochromacorn <laughs> and then they're like out of breath they're like oh and cake is like why are they breathing hard we're the ones doing all the work <laughs> it's like Sokka at the end is like oh I'm so tired, but I'm shouting. Aang and Katara are the only ones doing anything. <laughs> just as long as they didn't cut to Bato just sitting there. Yeah. Exasperated because he he legit just sat on his butt the whole time. Yep. He would have been the first to go if they crashed into those rocks. Just like a like a R-rated Avatar yeah. episode. Just everybody dies. Final destination. Everybody dies in a bloody crash. Yeah. Well, there goes the Avatar cycle. <laughs> He just goes to Bato. Bato goes to Hakoda. Hey, about your kids. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> well, and it's 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 Bato's spirit because Bato's <laughs> yeah. already dead too. Like, hey, um, we hung out and we're all dead now. But it's good to see you today. <laughs> Do you think it's a it's a waterbedding custom to leave your injured behind? That seems pretty interesting. I read it as like. They're going to fight a battle and they just don't think he's in good enough condition to fight. So rather than drag him there, they just want to let him heal. Leave, leave some men behind, kind of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wonder, and you, you, we don't find this out until later, but I wonder if, I wonder how stretched thin that group is then. Like, if, if, and why could they afford to just leave one when normal, like you wouldn't normally want to just leave one guy behind. Granted, he was at the at the uh, monastery with the, with the nuns and like they were there to take care of him, I guess. And he set up home there. He had a whole water bedding yeah. home within this. How long has he been there? Yeah. He set up the animal skins. He set up the, all the, the food. It was, it was, he'd been there for years. Maybe Bato really likes perfume. <laughs> and so before they left, he was like, I don't know. My arm's kind of a little sore. I think I might stick around here. I'm so burned. <laughs> <laughs> on the incredible uh, scent of this beautiful rose perfume. Uh, what do we think of the sheer shoe? Again, another kind of cool animal that just gets thrown into this. It's a little bit of a one-off. We don't see it for a long time again, but it is cool when it comes back later. Um, what do what do we think about the the sheer shoe? I love this one. Is it a is it like a star-nosed mole and a skunk or a badger, maybe? I think it's actually a combination of three, according to the according to the book. So you're, I think you're almost spot on. 
It's the star-nosed mole, the badger, and one other. Oh, I was wrong. You only got one right, the mole one. Oh, shoot. It's not a skunk? No. Wolf and giant anteater. Oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because mm-hmm. of the, the yeah. tongue. Yeah, they got the that tongue. big tail. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and the, the tongue, yeah. too, yeah. I'm, I'm amazed at how it, it can take down Appa as well. Like, I think until this point, we've not really seen an animal other than the Unagi as like an equal to Appa um, as far as like strength or even cunning, right? The Shushu is a super intelligent and smart animal. And the fact that it's venom and it's poison can even, you know, take Appa out of commission is, it says something about that, that poison, which is, I, I, I feel like I'm such a downer in this episode, but I really like this issue, but even the introduction of that sure. leads to such plot holes. Like, why didn't they just keep hiring <laughs> June? That seemed to work pretty well. Like, you can find anybody anywhere. Like, why are you just going back to searching? I don't know. It adds a pretty significant plot hole. Right. Well, and and the fact that, yes, we do see June in the Shushu again, but not until, like, the end of the series, basically, you know? Yeah, that that is a good point. It's much like the Appa whistle. It's like, okay, you have this plot device now that anytime you're stuck, blow the Appa whistle and Appa will come and save the day. Anytime you don't know where somebody is, call June. Well, go find (laughs) June as she's arm wrestling Ryu and get the sheer shoe to find this person for you. And it's like, oh, really cool, large things. But yeah, the the whole series would then just be over. Like then it's done, you know, but it's it's all good points to bring up, I think. I think they try to resolve it a little bit because Aang does get the necklace back, which is I like that ending. I think it wraps up really sweetly. Mm-hmm. Um, but if Zuko doesn't have that, does he have a good way to track them again? Because he would need something with their scent. That's on a good it. point. That's a good point. I guess then they did kind of leave you the out as long as he doesn't have, you know, an article of clothing or a piece of equipment that they've had. That makes sense then. But then next time he'd just try really hard to get that and he'd be set. <laughs> yeah. You'd be set for life. If you got like a, a piece, like one of their backpacks or something, or even, you know, Appa's fur, like yeah. just grab a chunk of Appa's fur or something. I think another shout, another shout out to Sokka moment talking about his smarts and his quick thinking comes later in that battle scene when they're, um, when Aang is pinned up against the wall and it's June and the Shirshu and Zuko. Sokka comes up with the idea of blinding, if you can call it blinding, the sheer shoe with the overwhelming sense of the perfumes. That was a really cool moment, too, and a really cool way to kind of end a battle that, you know, this is the first time that Aang, as a more confident bender, is facing um, Zuko in this setting. Like, there are lots of just cool battle moments, and the animation is pretty fun and cool, And um, but what a way to wrap it up, again, with with a non-bender kind of coming in and and using that wit and that ingenuity to to help get our team out of trouble. Yeah, so to go off both those points, I love the fight between Zuko and Aang. I think that's one of my favorite fights of the season. Uh, just seeing the airbending style where he's dodging around him in such close quarters, mm-hmm. seeing Zuko get <laughs> wrecked by the well, just shot up in the <laughs> air and falls behind. And then to the Sokka point, yeah, he, this was a good episode for him. It starts with him tracking down Bato basically right he's like recreating the battle to them like oh this is where the fire nations were but they pushed him back um and then somehow he misses the giant ship and Katara has to point it out <laughs> but there it um, is got, 
Gotta give, gotta give Katara something to do. The trail ends here. Uh, that's a ship. <laughs> oh, there's a beach and an ocean and a, sh- a giant ship. But yeah, no, he has he has that moment. He has his rock uh, dodging moment, and then this perfume moment. He uh, he. This is a good one for for Aang and Iroh. Not so much, but uh, Sokka really has a good time this episode. Oh God, yeah, Iroh. Mm. No redemption for Iroh in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that brings me to a somewhat new segment because we get a really nice one-on-one fight between Zuko and Aang in this one. So this is who would win. I I am curious if you'd want to pit people that we get to see together, and we can continue this as more characters are introduced, but you put two of our characters together, like a rumble match, uh, who's going to win? I mean, like, one-on-one, who would win right now? against uh jet and Sokka. so jet and Sokka are a team no they're fighting each other they're fighting each other i feel like jet would win right right now yeah maybe and then maybe we'll do this again towards the end of the series and see if our minds <laughs> get changed because because we get to see it pretty clearly now multiple times ang versus zuko ang can kind of best zuko mm-hmm. so and and the funny the funny thing about that is even though he bests zuko he doesn't necessarily like out muscle Zuko in true airbender fashion. It's a much more like pacifist approach. Like I'm going to flow through your fighting and kind of use your own fighting against you. Much like Aang does in um, the deserter episode with Zhao at the very end there. It's a very similar kind of fighting structure, fighting style. Um, where he's always redirecting his own energy to just keep his opponent off balance, which is a it's a very cool thing. Yeah, Sokka's down or uh, Zuko's downfall in multiple of the Aang fights were like the environment around him. Like in the first battle, it's the mattress and he gets slammed up <laughs> against the mattress. And in this one, it's the well water that he just gets you know tossed in the air. Yeah, um, which is funny because as the when he's disguised as the Blue Spirit, he's really good. At manipulating the environment. But the second he's thinking about being a firebender, he forgets all of it. Right. It's all fire. And Max, you said this, I think, last podcast episode, or at least in an earlier podcast episode, just benders being crippled by their own elements as well. You know, when you're not necessarily thinking about everything else that you could do to your advantage in a fight, you're going to leave yourself open to something that could then be your downfall. All right. Katara versus Haru. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Katara. Sucks. <laughs> Wait, with or without the beard? Oh, he's too powerful with no, the this beard. No, this is this is this is pre-beard Haru. He's not there yet. Later, maybe Haru would have the edge with the beard, but I honestly forgot that Haru was a character. I didn't actually forget for the record. For our listeners, I'm not uh, I'm not that ignorant. <laughs> Peru's on first. <laughs> All right. We can end this segment, but I do want to make our favorite characters fight each other. <laughs> we got to think, what's a what's a really cool name for your new segment? We have Max's reactions, Evan's musings. Now you've got uh, this like battle royale type of a yeah. segment here. What On-air production meeting. I feel like fight <laughs> to the max or something like that. Oh, Ooh, my That's God. a good one. Yes. <laughs> fight to the max fight to the max that is my favorite thing is that you just come up with these like it's very organic it uh yep 90 percent of my brain is just thinking about puns so there's like (laughs) 
a lot of energy towards that and just not a lot else. That's Beautiful. good. Next week on Battle to the Max, Boomy versus <laughs> Ty Lee. <laughs> wow. Honestly, though. <laughs> but we all know that, that Boomy would win. Easy. Well. <laughs> oh, it, it appears as if a second great divide has, has appeared <laughs> on the podcast crew. I... I do really want to pit Tylee up against a bunch of different people because I think she is a very unique fighter. Tylee is very underrated. Yeah. But we don't know who that is yet. No. (laughs) I think Boomy could have all of his chakras blocked and still find a way to bend. I don't think he was using his eyes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I know Uh, I'd know it when I knew it. I love that line. I love that line at the very end. Uh, <laughs> a solar eclipse. <laughs> Brandon, you have a good boomy impression. I was gonna say maybe that's my voice. You know, yes. Max. Max is basically a fire sage in the new intro guy. <laughs> Evan is basically Momo, and I can be, I can be King Boomy. That I'll take that. Well, this sort of we can transition to the deserter now. Um, how about, how about this one? I, I This one sits better with me. I, I like this one at least better than Bato. But uh, what were your guys' thoughts? I love this episode. I think it's really good. Why? I mean, I feel like you've got such good stakes in this one. Like, Zhang Zhang's position makes sense. Like, Aang has to learn the elements in order. That's how it's always been. But at the same time, Aang has a very strict time limit. And when... One entire nation is going to be entirely resistant to teaching you how to firebend. You have to be open to taking that opportunity where you can get it. So both sides make a lot of sense to me. I love all the Admiral Zhao stuff. It's so fun to get a little bit of his origin story and to to kind of mess with him a little bit. Zhang Zhang is a cool character. I love him. I think this is a solid episode. And we get to see a we get to see a bunch of like. What the Fire Nation looks like when it's not just a military thing. Right. That's a great. Yes. yes. We get to see kind of more of what the culture of the Fire Nation is outside of the military culture. And it's very cool. It's, I mean, it's very relatable. You feel like the Fire Nation is a fun place to be when you're experiencing the Fire Festival. Um, I think Zhang Zhang, to me, feels like Iroh, but at a different extreme, like at a different point in their journeys. Yeah, I think they both have that remorse for some of the horrible things that they probably did as members of the Fire Nation army. But where Iroh has kind of taken less of a activist mentality and more of a mentorship role for Zuko because he sees how that could affect the future of the country. Zhang Zhang is taking that activist approach and that activist mentality of being a part of a resistance now. So I think it's a cool it's a cool parallel to draw between those two characters. Iroh, who we know and who we love, with the exception of episode 15. Um, <laughs> and, and Zhang Zhang, this new character, this mysterious character. Um, and, and yeah, the, the lore that it builds to here is really, really cool um, to see where they develop things. I think where this episode excels, as opposed to 15, I think where 15 failed to kind of develop and nurture some of the lore of the Water Tribe... This episode does a little bit more of that lore and depth development on the Fire Nation side. Like it shows us more of what the Fire Nation is. And I would have loved that equal for the for the Water Tribe stuff 
just one episode earlier, but that's just my thoughts initially right there. We do get two back-to-back introductions to the cuisine. We get the sea prunes <laughs> and then the fire flakes, which pretty on the nose. <laughs> Even the food is fire in the fire nation. <laughs> Actually, you know what? That, that reminds me of the announcer guy in Korra. You should do yeah. that again. Previously though- on Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's really good oh we're gonna have to bust out like a radio voice filter yeah there we go for when Honestly, we start talking we, about cora <clears throat> we need to do a fanfic where we do the the voice acting like Actually, we have we have evan we, <laughs> we can, we'll do a little table read as as long as it's as long as it's got boomy in it i'm so ready i am Last so game boomy boomy's the love interest <laughs> Boom, Boomy and his love interest, the Fire Sage. Yes. <laughs> you left me a hundred years ago. <laughs> but I, I know I knew you. it when I knew it. <laughs> oh, boy. Bonus oh. episode. Here we come. If anybody's a fanfic writer out there, um, we need some we need some writers. Or so. if you'd like to try for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Please tweet them all at Brandon. <laughs> uh, actually, previous underscore pod, I believe, is our Twitter handle. Don't tweet them at my personal Twitter. <laughs> I may get in trouble for that. <laughs> it's like, Brandon, you have 40,000 new followers and they're all Avatar fan fiction. What? <clears throat> Oh, God. I was surprised with how funny this episode is, The Deserter. Yeah. And and it's so spaced out. Like, there's not... It's like they kind of uh, do some exposition, some whatever, and then, boom, like a joke. Like, right away as they're setting up to go into the town, you know, Appa and Momo, Aang telling them that they need to lay low. So Momo jumps into the bush, and then... Appa like hides behind the same bush, but obviously can't hide. So some of that just like visual comedy. Um, I liked the mask exchange too, where they're so good. in the town like, oh, we should probably change our disguises because our faces aren't covered. Where are we going to find these masks? Get your genuine fire festival masks here. That was surprisingly easy. Like right next to him, which that's funny. And then when Katara just takes the happy mask from Sokka and gives it to Aang and gives Sokka the, the sad mask. Oh, I just, I forgot how funny certain parts of this episode are. Yeah. And just, yeah, every time. Like when Aang wiggles his thick booty at Zhao. And says, Ahoy, I'm that Admiral Zhao. <laughs> just, just wild. I believe the kids say tick, Evan. Not oh, thick, it's, it's, it's tick. It's tick now. God, I'm Is so behind. Really? I, I have no idea. T-H-I-C-C. Tick. I knew the spelling. I didn't mm. know it was pronounced tick. I thought it was thick. I, I could be totally wrong. If you know the correct uh, spelling, reply <laughs> all at on Twitter or interact with us on Facebook. <laughs> it's going to be ours. all fanfic and, <laughs> and tick. <laughs> fanfic and tick. This is our That's lead actually episode. the name. <laughs> that's actually the name of the fanfic episode. Somebody's writing for us. It's called it's called that tick journey. Here we go. Um, yeah, they balance the humor so well in this one with some super serious moments as well. Um, Zhang Zhang really getting in their face and pretty serious. I think his line about Aang not really knowing his destiny, like how could a yeah. how could a fish pretend to know the the river's destiny? So basically, Aang, you're just one of like a hundred avatars. Like you, you're not 
you don't know your destiny, which is pretty brutal, like kind of discounting what Aang has done. And it's to this point, like he's been, everybody says like, oh, you're like the Avatar, you're so important. And this is the first person to kind of challenge that. Yeah. I'm the Avatar. It's my destiny. Destiny? What would a boy know of destiny? If a fish lives its whole life in this river, does he know the river's destiny? No, only that it runs on and on out of his control. He may follow where it flows, but he cannot see the end. He cannot imagine the ocean. And what a cool step forward in the animation. Like when they're sitting, uh, sitting yeah. in Zhang Zhang's hut, his, like he could very, very easily have delivered that same monologue deadpanned. Mm-hmm. And it would, it would have not been the same at all. Like the fact that both his voice, the voice actor for Zhang Zhang did a great job, I thought. And then the animation team, you know, animating that same emotion that they were able to capture in his voice. What a, what a cool moment. I was a, I was a big fan of that uh, monologue as well. Plus, you know, it also allows us to see Avatar Roku again. And I'm a big Avatar Roku fan. Um, and the fact that you then see a total reversal. Like, mm-hmm. Zhang Zhang does not respect Aang as the Avatar or as a human because he's just a little kid, right? Like, what has this kid done except run away and jeopardize the fate of, of the world? And then when Roku manifests himself through Aang... Zhang Zhang almost becomes remorseful, like, oh, crap, I shouldn't have done that. I forgot who I was talking to. You're actually a really, really all-powerful, like, being, and I, I'm sorry. I'll do what you want. <laughs> this is one of the only times we see Roku sort of come out and talk to somebody else, right? I think it is the only time. Um, so it kind of shows you how connected Zhang Zhang is to probably the spirit world or to just, I don't, I'm not exactly sure how he could see him or present when that never happens again. But also it got me thinking like, okay, Roku sort of confronts Zhang Zhang and Zhang Zhang decides, okay, I'll teach you. And then he disappears into the forest and Roku's got to be like, um, well, I, I just where'd came you, out and like talked to you. Where'd you go, you. dude? Where are you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you guys seen Apocalypse Now? I have not seen Apocalypse Now. It's um mm-hmm. this episode reminds me so much of that. It's like uh it's based on a, a book, Heart of Darkness, but it's like this general or someone in Vietnam who like deserts and he gets this weird sort of like sort of cult following. There's like this guy who also deserts the army and like is escorting them along the river to meet him, and he's this weird like mystical figure, but he's also kind of losing his mind. Highly recommend it, but it feels a lot nice. like the journey to to finding Kurtz in that movie. Sure. I think something else that kind of clues us into the remorse Zhang Zhang feels for his contributions to the Fire Nation and the Fire Nation military is when he goes on that second tangent about the fine line between humanity and savagery, and eventually we're torn apart. Like... I think it's it's a testament to Zhang Zhang's own self-redemption, like recognizing that in himself, that he has become or had become a savage and he needed to retreat and return to his humanity. But <clears throat> what a warped way of thinking for an entire culture to start to just think, nope, everybody in the Fire Nation needs to start embodying this quote-unquote savage approach because... We are, quote, a a superior element or whatever, all of this propaganda that gets spewed and taught to everybody 
from such a young age on. I thought that I thought that that was a really interesting um, moment when when Zhang Zhang kind of spoke that out. But fire brings only destruction and pain. It forces those of us burdened with its care to walk a razor's edge between humanity and savagery. Eventually, we are torn apart. Yeah, I think you really hit the nail on the head that he is one of the few Fire Nation people who we meet who for a while now has actively been resisting the Fire Nation. Not working mm -hmm. behind the scenes, not like a later transition over to the good guys. Like he's mm -hmm. really like doing the legwork from the beginning that we meet him. I wish we got to see him again. That'd be so cool if he showed up later. Yeah, wouldn't that be neat? <laughs> Ugh. What a wasted character. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> Gonna have some fans screaming into their phones. <laughs> no! No, no, no! Gosh, no! Yeah, every Revoke time. their podcast. Your podcast has been removed. I thought it was an interesting episode uh, to follow the Bato episode for Aang because both of these are pretty brutal on his character, right? In both of them, it shows he's kind of petulant, selfish, impatient. A lot of kind of pretty negative virtues or traits watching them as a clump it only made me pick up on it now uh, versus like watching it all way all the way through i don't think i would have picked up on it yeah i feel like with the monks he was kind of the favorite child like obviously they knew really early that he was the avatar so i think they they probably treated him better sometimes it seems like gyatso maybe let him get away with a lot of stuff that other people might not so he kind of has to butt up against that and and learn that everything can't always go his way. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that from from the perspective of how he was raised, because I think maybe I'm a monk stereotype person, but <laughs> you kind of figure like you're taught selflessness, humble, like detachment. So to see some of the traits that probably were the antithesis of what they were training uh, kind of caught me off guard. But I, I like that explanation, right? He was sort of the center of the the probably the temple while he was there he's not used to getting his like talked over or or being limited in his training so yeah it's interesting well and that even ties back to what you had said earlier too max about everywhere he's gone he's been you know the avatar so he's like the big deal he's everywhere he goes so not even was it just a thing about how he was raised but how he has been post iceberg, you know, every human interaction that he's had for the most part has been, Oh my gosh, you're the avatar. Wow. This is awesome. You're cool. Blah, blah, blah. What can we get you? All these things mm -hmm. with the exception of, of, you know, Zuko who's actively pursuing him, Zhao, the same thing. This is the first time where and still in a respectful way, not in a, I'm trying to kill you or capture you sort of a way. He's just kind of put in his place, which is, it's gotta be a hard thing to, to do or to have happen to you for the first time. Yeah, I think even the people who have been angry with Aang up to this point, they're still sort of affirming that idea that he's kind of the center of the universe. And I think it is, it's good for Aang to learn for himself too. I think he can feel better when he starts to not think that everything truly rests on him alone. That's a that's a good point. It's a kind of pivotal moment. We never hear him really use that excuse again with anybody else. But it's the Avatar's duty to master all of the bending disciplines. I think it does help him grow up a little bit. 
Well, and we see that growth right at the end when Katara comes back after she's already healed herself. Mm -hmm. And he goes, Zhang Zhang tried to tell me that I wasn't ready. I wouldn't listen. Like that self-admission just shows a lot of his growth in this short amount of time. Um, now, when he vows to then never firebend again, that's a very childlike answer. So even when he shows this growth, he still shows his lack of maturity in handling the situation. As the Avatar, you can't say that. Duh. You, you're eventually going to have to learn how to bend fire. Whoever teaches you, however you learn, all that stuff. So it, again, lots of good growth at the very end there, but still showing us that he's a 12-year-old kid. Yep, exactly. Katara learns how to heal in this episode. That's pretty cool. That is cool. Kind of a new ability unlocked. <laughs> That's right. Finally got enough experience she points. Le <laughs> leveled up. <laughs> Aang leveled up and immediately <laughs> hurt yeah, somebody. Exactly. And Katara. <laughs> I, I do think it's interesting how that ability also unlocked in such a time of crisis. Like she had just been injured and she was probably scared, probably super emotional, like thinking in her mind, probably what is this going to do to my ability to bend if I don't have proper use of my hands? And then she just goes and retreats to the element that she feels comfortable with. And then, oh my gosh, I just, I just healed myself. I do think it's a little weird that how at the end of the episode, she does heal Aang's burn, right? But to me, the line from, oh my gosh, I just discovered that I can do this to then all of a sudden being able to do it on command and at will seems a little far-fetched. Um, I don't know, maybe you guys felt differently about that, but I think it is cool how some of these moments where that next tier of bending ability is unlocked in like a crisis moment. Definitely. I, I kind of agree, but that's how Katara's development has always been with her bending. It's We don't get to see the big jumps or we we get to see these big jumps we don't really get to see the like how does she actually learn it like how does she right. develop it and, and grow it's just oh yep she can do it now. right and i think before when that's been able to happen in between episodes it's been it's been more palatable for me like if we go from True. the the water bending scroll episode to the episode following where then she has much greater command and control that makes sense to me because there is supposedly a passage of time, a greater passage of time from moment to moment there. But the fact that she just figured it out and then Aang goes and confronts Admiral Zhao and then they fly away and she's like, oh, you're burned. Let me do this awesome thing that I just learned how to do probably an hour and a half ago um, in real time if we want to try to figure out what that real time equivalent is. But that that's the only thing that felt outlandish to me. Like if you know, there were more time that had passed or even a solid episode. Like she discovered her ability and then in the next episode, she's got a greater command of it. That would make more sense to me. But the fact that it's just such a short period of time before she gains this tremendous facility, it's like, mm, can you really do that? Can you? So this might be a bit of a jump, but just to kind of set us up for the next episode, we've gotten to have a little peek of the water uh, nation kind of customs and then in this one we get to see a little bit more of the fire nation one uh, and so it kind of makes sense that the next episode that we get to see would go more into the air bending customs but i guess we get a little bit of a twist with that uh, it's not just the air bending uh, customs that we get 
introduced to. So I'm excited to talk about that. Gosh, you're leaving us with quite the cliffhanger. Maybe this is the greatest cliffhanger of all time episode. On the next Dragon Ball. (laughs) (laughs) And that's going to do it for this episode. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion so far, as we certainly have. We'll be back soon with more conversations about the first season of Avatar The Last Airbender. We're now live on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for at previous.pod on Facebook and at previous underscore pod on Twitter. Give us a like or a follow and interact with us. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the series as we keep the dialogue going. We've got just two episodes left of our first season. Thanks so much to our listeners for sticking with us through this incredible journey. Be on the lookout for some bonus content after we wrap up season one and stay tuned for updates on when you can expect season two to formally be released. A big thanks to my co-hosts Evan and Max for being a part of the podcast. We'll see you soon. Yip, yip.